Welcome to this week's From the Lighthouse podcast. I'm Michelle Hammerdash, and today I am joined in the studio with the inimitable Jimmy Van. <laughs> we are here to discuss Titus Andronicus, the play, and Titus Andronicus, the play. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes, we are looking at the play in general, but we're also looking at the recent production of the play uh, by the Bell Shakespeare Company, uh, which is currently showing at the Opera House. And we've had an interesting response to it, for, for lack of a better word, shall we say. I think we should start by giving a general overview of what people might think that Titus Andronicus is about. In, in terms of, in terms <laughs> of the play Jimmy, itself? Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> um, okay, so, I mean, we'll start with a general thing about Titus Andronicus. So, for those who don't know Titus Andronicus, it's often considered Shakespeare's first play. Uh, although there is some, although there is some uh, yeah, scholarly that. contentions around that at the moment. Uh, people are doing a lot of work uh, and there's um, there's ideas that, you know, he he's probably working with another playwright, um, someone along the same line as Christopher Marlowe, who was contemporaneous to Shakespeare, but he was also producing a lot of really uh, popular plays of this nature uh, as well, this sort of violent play. Very violent. Very violent. It's pretty much considered Shakespeare's most violent play for uh, quite deservedly I think you know because it is quite a violent play. And while loosely historical in the sense that it's set at the end of the Roman Empire mm. with the invading Goths mm. um, it's fiction. It's completely fictional um, I, to my knowledge anyway I don't think there is a figure um, known as Titus. It seems to be amalgamation of a, a bunch of different historical figures combined into, into one. But I think he was just using, in a way, Titus to discuss other issues, most pr uh, prominently issues around um, surrounding um, Elizabethan England uh, at that time as well, issues uh, surrounding power, surrounding sexuality um, and... Uh, charting the fall of an empire. Charting too. the fall of an empire, yeah, and, and that um, kind of fear. The sort of forces that lead to the disintegration and disorder that is undoubtedly characteristic of Titus Andronicus. Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, basically the play starts with the defeat of the Goths by Titus and his army. Uh, and it starts off with a contention between the two heirs, the two male heirs to the, um, the empire, um, Saturninus and uh, Bassanius. Uh, as Saturninus is the eldest son, Bassanius is the second son, uh, and they both want, they both have their claim to the actual uh, throne itself. But the, the people of Rome have voted and they don't want either of them to be emperors and instead they want uh, Titus to be emperor, even though he's only a general. And my understanding is that in the actual play, I think there's a sort of a pageantry to the opening scene, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it staged in different ways. Probably one of the, the, the best ways that it's staged is it's almost like election time mm. and you've got these two uh, candidates and they're basically... Uh, giving you these speeches about why they would be the best person to run the country and so on and so forth. Uh, and their arguments that Pomp they... Pomp and circumstance. Pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And the argument they make a very, very, um, I guess, traditional argument. Saturninus is saying, I'm the eldest son, the rightful heir to the throne. I should be made emperor. Bassanius is saying, uh, but yes, I, but I have more diplomacy. You know, I'm sort of the better candidate. Well, Politician, better politician, better politician yeah. and therefore I should be chosen instead of, you know, this sort of rightful traditional heir sort of manner. Uh, but the uh, the consuls and the people have voted and Titus is voted in. Uh, but Titus, of course, doesn't want it. And he went to the traditional pass and gives it to uh, Saturninus. And so that's a setup for the entire play itself. 
Uh, but the real story around the play well, is around Tamara. I was going to say, you Tamara. know, I, I feel like that, yeah, exactly, Tamara, because almost mm-hmm. the premise of the play is that um, fateful murdering of her son yes. in revenge for Titus's sons who died on the battlefield. Yeah, I mean... Which it was... has so many resonances with yeah. uh, Oedipus and, you know, sort of in terms of the way that the play mm. degenerates um, based on, you know, sort of effectively yeah. Tamora's desire for revenge. For revenge. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the ways that I've read the play uh, isn't necessarily that Titus wants revenge for his sons, but I think the reason he does it is because it's traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always read Titus as a very traditional character. He does everything as tradition would dictate. So it's part of the custom to um, to sacrifice the eldest son of your enemy um, to, in, to, to the gods, to appease the gods because you've won that particular battle. So as a result, he's then said, okay, well, you know, your, your oldest son, whose name I've completely forgotten right now, because he never actually has a speaking part in the entire play, he just appears and gets executed and that's it. Uh, so his execution of um, Tamara's eldest son is in a way a sacrifice to, to tradition. And in fact, his voting for Saturninus is the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look for the better ruler, the better politician. He goes for more, the more traditional And then route. in that sense, it's fascinating because what you have is a clash of cultures and a clash yes. of value systems where one culture is acting, enacting its own traditions on another culture who actually doesn't experience that as a traditional um, act, but mm. it, it, as an, a means of inciting rage and a, and, a, and a mechanism for revenge, which I think is another fascinating element contained within Titus Andronicus. Absolutely, and that's actually Tamara's argument. Mm. So when she initially appears, she begs um, Titus. She basically goes on her hands and knees and she says, please do not do this. He's my eldest son. Um, you are father. You know what it's like to mm-hmm. have your children. And, you know, at this stage we are told that Titus had lost 20 of his 25 <laughs> you know, sons in, in, in war. So he should be highly sympathetic to Tamara's plea. But instead he said, nope, tradition dictates and I must do this. And then she utters those four immortal words. She says, oh, cruel, irreligious piety. You know, the best defence, I suppose, against, you know, that, that kind of barbarism that she's talking about and what she's effectively saying you know she's the queen of the goths and she's saying you are part of the roman empire who's meant to be the cultural capital of the world who's meant to be you know this sophisticated society you behave in ways that are worse than what we barbarians would behave so this idea of barbarism and civilization is completely subverted by this one brilliant line that she utters you know oh cruel irreligious piety how dare you sacrifice my son for your sense of tradition, for your sense of culture, what kind of piety is that exactly? And what fate for uh, act does that um, befall poor? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, 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 so those, two, those two terrible decisions of Titus is essentially what leads to his downfall. So in, um, uh, in choosing Saturninus and in sacrificing Tamara's eldest son, he sets up the path of vengeance that will uh, that completely destroy his, his entire family. So as it's revealed, Saturninus then, uh, because he was um, given uh, Titus' uh, blessing, he says, okay, well, to, uh, to make it up to you, I'm going to marry your daughter Lavinia and she'll be queen uh, and you know, your family will be highly honoured as well. What he doesn't realise is that Lavinia had already been promised to Bassanius. They've already had this love you know, engagement and they were set to, to marry each other. So... Uh, Lavinia then runs off with Bassanius and uh, that act is supported by all of Titus's sons except for Titus himself who saw that as an act of betrayal by his own children and he actually slaughters one of them, he kills one of them uh, in, in rage, in rage. Uh, and 
in that moment, Satanias then says, okay, fine, I'll screw your entire family. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to marry Tamara instead. So you can see straight off from that particular perspective, you see how all the power dynamics suddenly shifts on Titus. He went from being the most powerful man in Rome, potentially emperor, to now enemy of the emperor and his, his, queen. his queen. His queen. His queen. The power. His queen. The, the power has the switched completely. Yeah. So now Tamara is in a position to completely destroy uh, Titus, which is what she does for the entire play. You know, So she sets out on a path to completely destroy his family by first up um, having Lavinia raped and um raped, raped tongue cut out um, tongue cut out Rip. hands chopped off so that she cannot reveal the rape and it was her sons who did this so demetrius and chiron uh but what's really interesting about all the things that happen in this play is that the character who uh supervises all this who comes up with a mastermind for all this isn't actually tamara herself but her lover aaron the more the yeah. who is one of the most problematic figure in i think shakespeare's entire work because he is just almost one-dimensionally evil that he's only uh, interesting enough only counterpart that i can think of is iago from which Othello, you know does actually which also has another more mm, exactly mm. and there is this sort of underlying racism there yes. because i think the miscegenation and the way that the child is uh sort of treated but also becomes another mechanism of the plot mm. because in actual fact, it's because Aaron is Moorish, therefore the child is visibly not the child of Saturnina. Saturnina. Oh, I'm not going to get that one out, am I? <laughs> yes. um, that there is this second sort of wheel that's set turning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think looking at that play, you would have to argue that, uh, you know, sort of Shakespeare is utterly sort of... Um, I guess, upholding a sort of a, a racial purity in well, terms of the way the story unfolds. Yes, I mean, I I have a lot of problems with Aaron as a character mm-hmm. because uh, I think, you know, if you read enough of Shakespeare, you would come to the realisation that he never really ever creates a character that is completely one-dimensional. There's always depth to the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron and Iago are the two exceptions that I can think of. You know, Iago is another one of those really, really problematic characters. I just can't figure out why he's as evil as he, as he mm. is. You know, almost every other character that you can think of, or villainous characters anyway, there's always some sort of depth and dimension to them. Uh, but Aaron doesn't, and Aaron has one of the most chilling he goes lines. To the goes to the very end. Yeah, he know. goes to the very end. Like he goes to his grave, basically. You know, when they say, you know, well, you need to repent and you need to, you know, um, uh, apologise for all the bad things you've done. And he says, you know, the only regret I have in life is that I wasn't able to do even more evil in this world, that I wasn't able to destroy more people. That's my only regret in life. And you're kind of like, oh, dear God, okay. So, so you can, I mean, people have tried to read Aaron, I think, as an example of um, uh, the, the effects of colonisation. You know, so what do you do to a group of, you know, how do you expect a group of people to behave if all you do is subject them to... Or yeah. you just say that Shakespeare is problematic. Oh, yeah. Or you <laughs> just say... I would, I, would, I would be tempted to go there. Which, which is my... Just, yeah. I'm which is my stance. Just, you know, I, I think he is highly problematic, especially when you compare him, for example, to a character like... Um, uh, Shylock in The Merchant of Venice, who, again, is also highly problematic because he's presented in quite a racist way. But Shylock is given the best 
anti-racist speech and one that we still use to this day, you know, one that's entrenched in our own culture, you know, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? You know, how did you know eyes, hands, organs, dimensions, all that. So he's given that kind of complexity to Shylock to 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 give reasons actually for why he behaves the way he behaves and to make that argument that you know what if you treat me in a certain way i'm going to behave a certain way because you are human i'm human and we're going to behave in the exact same way mm. but aaron doesn't do that no no aaron almost says well you know um uh what was his famous line black uh something about black is um he's basically making the argument that black is superior because black is the only thing that cannot be uh washed away you know uh you put a, a black hand in water, black feet in water, and it's, it's never going to come out white. So he, he makes that you know, really odd argument, and it's one that I do grapple with mm. quite a lot. So I think there's major issues with, with Aaron uh, as a you character. You can't expect um, an Elizabethan uh, sort of population to have views no. that align with a 21st century one. Absolutely. There, it's, just, it's just an impossibility, mm. um, and I, th- I think you have to allow for some of yeah. those. But um, at the same time also, ways. Aaron is a very, very um, seductive character, though, because he is, of, well, he is lover you know, of yeah. you know, Tamara, you know, to the point that she would prefer to sleep with him than to sleep with the emperor. And, um, she, you know, he's... He, and, he, and he ends up fathering her, you know, her, her baby as well. So obviously he's not an impotent <laughs> lover, so to speak. So he's a very, very seductive character, but he's also the smartest character in the entire play. He's the one that manipulates all the events that happen. He's the one that masterminds the entire downfall of the Andronicus family. So we have that issue with Aaron. Um, and he's in a way set in opposition to other characters throughout the the play and what he does show though incidentally is the stupidity of a lot of the characters so Kyra and Demetrius who are completely at his mercy without even realizing they've been manipulated by him Titus himself Mm -hmm. is manipulated by Aaron to chop his hand off off and does it willingly you know this is the effect that Aaron has on all these people so he's a very very powerful very very intelligent character and yet so one-dimensionally evil he's almost a source of evil in this entire play and so that makes him quite a problematic character so so there's no bones about it uh it is a very bloodthirsty play we have rape we have um you know sort of the mutilation um, mutilation we also have uh, a form of cannibalism because uh Mm. The we end up with uh, Tamara and being fed her own, her own, sons, her own sons in a pie. The, I mean, yes. the grinding up of yep, and, and there's a whole bloodthirsty final scene where I think it's like three or four successive deaths, like uh, one right after the other. So you know, uh, Titus kills Tamara, uh, Saturninus kills Titus, and then uh, Lucius kills Saturninus and ends the entire cycle of revenge, so, so to speak. So, so when when you and I decided to go and see Titus Andronicus, we had no illusions that it was going to be a walk in the park, did we? No, no we all. were expecting violence. I was expecting violence. And, and in, fact, we, in fact, we've been to a play and had blood splattered on us. Yes, absolutely. We, Macbeth. Globe Theatre. Yeah, Macbeth. <laughs> we're, we're, um, we're not wusses when it comes to no, gore. And, 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 the, and to be fair, um, before the play started, they did send an email out to all patrons but it was, with a trigger warning. 
but it was I don't know that that was a trick <laughs> body because when you address your uh, your reader as dear children, um, how seriously do you take that email? Um, I, I think not. It's, it's, I think a trigger warning is trigger warning. There are scenes of disturbing violence and noise and yeah, but <laughs> I mean imagery. I, I think the problem with the trigger warning is that when you read it and you understand uh, what Titus Andronicus is about, you kind of the first thing on your head is and exactly you, you know that this these are all you know rape, uh, murder, mutilation, violence, all that stuff. We we know that this is inherent in the play. Yep, and so, we expect so, it to so be bloody. We expect, we, it, we expect it to be bloody. We, we don't expect it to be a, a walk in the park. You know, we, exactly. we're expecting that to happen on the, on the stage. Yes. So, And when you address a, a sort of a, when you send out an email as dear children, um, <laughs> I think that you're immediately uh, sort of putting that uh, sort of the, the, the audience in a, in a sort of a, a faint or a conceit that may actually lead them to ignore any sort of essential trigger warning in yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think for me, one of the major problems with the actual play itself is that all those things that they're talking about, the rape, the mutilation, the violence, they're actually the least, you know, violent and gory and, you know, viscerally affecting scenes in the entire play. Everything else around it is much uh, more damaging, I think, to, <laughs> is the only way I can put it, to your mind, to your psyche, to your eyes, than the actual violence itself. So when, you, when we're talking about the rape of Lavinia, it was done almost artistically with flowers, which, you know, Ew, fake, know. fake hydrangeas, Jimmy. Let's let's. <laughs> Michelle's going to be very specific about her flowers. <laughs> they, they, I will never look at a hydrangea in the same way again, and there is nothing that can um, reimburse me for that loss. Yeah, so I mean, the, the so rape of Lavinia in this was basically an actress who was meant to body double for Lavinia because Lavinia was played by I think I could get the age wrong here, but something like a fourteen-year-old. Um, I think she may have been Indian or Pakistani or, or somewhere. Um, uh, along the, uh, in terms of nationality anyway. Um, and the body double was a, uh, a white 20-ish, I think, woman. And in the rape scene, she just sort of was lying down there. The Red yeah. Riding Hood theme, the introduction of the Red Riding Hood theme, because mm. uh, in actual fact, Lavinia's literally wearing a, a sort of a red, red cape. cape yeah. um, and there is the house in the woods. Yeah, I mean, I... I think you had more of a problem with that than than I did. I I didn't mind the allusion to Red Riding Hood because I think you can sort of see it as a as a rape allegory, but I didn't like what happened after that. So she enters into the house, and then suddenly we get this sense that okay, she's getting raped. But then we're getting this strange reenactment outside of the actual house itself, mm-hmm. and that's where the body double then comes in. And in this reenactment of a rape, you've got the actor who plays Marcus, so Titus's brother, therefore Lavinia's uncle. Uh, and the actor who plays, I think it was Lucius, um, or it might have been Mutius, you know, one of the um, Titus' son, uh, raping this woman on the stage. Uh, and the way they do it is through picking flowers off her body, hydrangeas, sorry, off her body. Fake, fake, fake hydrangeas off her body as a symbolism of sort of deflowering her, I suppose. Uh, my problem with this particular rape scene is that it's unclear what they're trying to do here. Are they trying to suggest then that all men are rapists because the same actors who are meant to play Lavinia's uh, family members are also the same actors who are playing Lavinia, Chiron uh, uh, and, and Demetrius? Uh, so what message are we getting out of 
this particular scene. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, how did you take that scene? Well, you know, I, I think I think for me there were a number of things. So I guess that scene relied heavily on video and sound effects and um, sort of Larry sort of lights and shadows ha- going on inside the house at the same time. Mm-hmm. And actually, because we were at the front, I couldn't I couldn't front see room. very much. All I could see was the occasional artificial throw- flower sort of thrown okay. um, up in 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 the air. So look. I, I think, you know, sort of for me it was more a case of looking at the play as a, as a whole rather than uh, – because, you know, that one scene sort of taken out of context, you know, sort of perhaps um, can work. But I think the overarching context of the play and the treatment of the play sort of prohibited that from really working um, for me on stage, do you, do you know what I mean? It yeah. was it was much. It, I think by that stage, I'd already decided I was leaving. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so, so we should yeah. preface this yeah, by, by saying that Michelle, unfortunately or fortunately, <laughs> did not stay for the entire production. No. So can you can you walk us through your <laughs> your well, process? Look, you know, it, so Jimmy and I have both gone to see plays where we've had a lot more, um, you know, sort of mess on stage mm. than with this particular performance and. I think that there were two things. I think that for me, if I was going to, um, you know, if I was going to preface this play for somebody thinking of going, I would actually want to make it really clear that because of the the, the darkness of, of, of the, the room, the closeness, it was quite hot in there, and then the large screens with pulsating red imagery um, often uh, sort of, well, actually, literally in endoscopy, sometimes um, sort of lips where blood was um, sort of pooling out of it and tongues being torn, plus the sort of the continuous um, sort of soundscape, which was effectively an internalised sort of soundscape. All of that actually made me feel quite claustrophobic. Yeah, so, so, I mean, we should probably, that, that ex- probably explain a little bit about the actual production itself. So the production itself, um, I think the way I would describe the setting is probably maybe like cyberpunk mm. type of setting. It wasn't a, you know, a traditional Roman setting. Uh, it's almost in the same world as it's Mad Max. It's macabre, you know, yeah. in many respects. Um, and they were uh, doing rear projection uh, for basically the entire uh, play. Uh, and it would change depending on the actual act itself. But each act had a specific thing that they were projecting in the background, as the actors are doing. Uh, and one of the scenes is the one that you were talking about where it took me a, a while to figure out what was going on there, but it, yeah, it turns out it was an endoscopy that, that we were looking at, mm-hmm. which is not something I really want to look at for about 10 to 15 minutes. And I think what that does is it, it, it distracts you. I think these set pieces are much more distracting than, than actually serving to uh, advance the story to any degree. Well, I think I think that was that was where I was uh, because you know sort of on an intellectual level, you know, we can sit here and analyze the significance of the screen, the mm. soundscape, the emphasis on the corporeal, and all of those sorts of things. And then on another level is the sort of affective response of being a body in a in a in a dark room mm. with with sort of uh, continual noise and um, sort of flashing screens, mm. which for me is you know 
where I would have appreciated a warning because I get migraines. Yeah. So, you know, so so, 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 so so I think, you know, there are those two elements of that. And I, I think for me it was the fact that it sort of uh, started at 10 and then it stayed at level 10 all the way through. And yeah. I think that was a sort of, for me, it was a flat line essentially. Mm. I had no problem with the opening um, because I felt, well, it was apt. I actually mm. felt that that image of yeah. the mouth. Yeah, so it's, it started in a way with the, the Rape of Lavinia um, scene because well, it's... It was just even the opening where we had this um, the curtain which was actually looked okay. like the innards, you yeah. know, and we opened with that image, which I thought was, um, it was it was like a death mask, the turning well, into... The, oh, okay. So, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I was totally okay with that. See, I interpreted that, that as um, that's the scene where Lavinia... That's that's the after effect of the Vinnie's rape. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were having time. that yeah, play out, yeah, you know. Yeah, sort of, but it was it was all of those. It's almost uh, like prefacing the actual play itself. Yeah. So um, I had so in actual fact, I had no problems with how graphic all of that was. Mm. What I did find was that in actual fact, the the the, the visual um, effects effectively dwarfed what was happening on the stage to a point yeah. where I, I felt like. I can get this sort of effect mm. anywhere, but I actually can't see the theatre anywhere. And what I want is I want to see, um, I, I know that, um, uh, yeah, I just thought there were a lot of moments where we had actors standing while, you know, sort of um, microphone voiceover was, was doing the work. Yeah. And for me, that's empty. Yes. It was just empty. A little yeah. bit of that can work, but I think it gets to a point where, um, yeah. or even just I think that if I was, if I sort of, if it was a, a sort of a 20-minute installation sort of experience, I probably would have enjoyed it and I would have mm. been really um, sort of, you know, um, I, I think that I, I would have experienced it viscerally and I would have, um, you know, sort of come away with a lot of, a lot to think about. But actually over sort of 101 minutes, which I didn't sit through, <laughs> um, it was just Physically, it was too much. I, I was feeling sick, so I thought I was feeling sick. And, I need to go. And you weren't the only one. I think a, a, a few, of the, quite a lot of the patrons also left uh, before the play actually ended, and we'd have could potentially be quite a moment of tragedy. Somebody collapsed uh, halfway through through yeah. the play itself, and an ambulance had to be called in. So, now, whether that was the effect of the play itself, just, or that was going to happen anyway. We don't know. We don't know the history behind it, but it was something that we also experienced as part of our watching of the play yeah, itself. So that, you know, somebody was affected to that degree, uh, potentially, that, um, that they felt quite ill. And, and certainly you were affected oh, to I, I felt I actually did start to feel sick, and that's yeah. when I thought, why, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a grown woman. I don't have to sit here and feel sick if I now, don't want to. Michelle doesn't um, know this because I've, I've kept it from her the entire time, but she left at a very, very uh, fortuitous time mm. so when you left michelle uh it was when the actress who was playing the midwife um uh, got killed by aaron and then she uh, as they were clearing the stage the the inner screen thing came down and michelle thought okay this is a good time there won't be i didn't actress. want to offend any actors she didn't I want didn't, to you know, you know she's a very polite <laughs> woman <laughs> our michelle I is <laughs> i did my best to wait until i wasn't yes but unfortunately to, you, know. you know the the midwife decides to come <laughs> Front and centre, Michelle just fled the, the scene. Yeah, I'd already made my mind. She had already made her mind. Yeah, that's it. So she fled the scene. Um, and so what happened right afterwards? And you know, I waved my goodbye to Michelle because I thought, look, I'm doing this podcast on it, so I should sit through it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, just admit it. You you're made of stronger stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of wish that I had left with you about one minute right after you left because <laughs> oh, no. I just thought, oh, why am I here? <laughs> so what happened right after this? And maybe this is a better illustration as to why I had so much um, 
problems with this particular production uh, because I, it, it's it's really senseless to me. I don't understand why any of this was actually necessary for the play. But the actress who played the midwife came forth uh, and she started to do this strip tease. Odd strip tease is the best way I can explain it. I mean, she had a pom-pom or some sort of strange thing <laughs> attached to her underwear and she just started to do this strange strip tease. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the strip tease, she bends over, grabs a wad of poo, what hits it on the back of one of her legs, scrapes it up to her vagina, sticks it into her underwear, squirts it all around, and it comes oozing out. And I'm just there going, oh, dear God, what am I watching? <laughs> now, if you can explain to me the significance of that strange little interlude, that I think is the key to understanding what on earth this play is actually about because I have no idea. Like I was watching this and I just sort of, I mean, for me, well, I can I can stomach a lot of violence. Well, but... obviously excrement is, is you know, sort of the abject mm. um, and this play is well and surely grappling <laughs> with all of those things that we itself. can't, you know, sort of classify and we can't, you know, we, we can't sort of neat that don't, neatly fit into categories um i i, I have to say i i mean i to, to, to be fair to me I, mean, I, <laughs> I there was a lot of pressure on me to have a response to this moment because jimmy told everybody around me but not me yes. what that um what that moment was so i think i had actually imagined something far worse <laughs> and, and maybe it's just because i'm a mother and i've changed so many nappies that's actually not having much of an impact on me well, I, just, well, I, mean, I mean i've seen children do it i'm not so I'm what, what take poo and stick it up oh, their underwear well, and, and yeah well yes and, i've yeah, seen sort of smear it all over smear the it all around yes, themselves yes i've seen it all you've seen you it did, all. you did <laughs> seen, well, maybe, I've seen maybe that's a thing maybe it's a commentary on motherhood <laughs> that i just simply didn't understand no, no, so I'm, I'm actually probably i probably i i, I mean i'm probably i probably would not have found that quite as bad as you obviously did um but oh, i was I traumatized mean, so surprised you thought that was so bad. Everybody <laughs> did. Just, except me. It's, Ex- except it's, for Michelle. Yeah, with three kids, what can I say? I've seen that done before. In fact, now I'm just thinking I've seen that done before, so why do I need to see it on stage? Well, that's the thing, you know, it's, it's that kind of graphic, almost gratuitous form of Look, the thing about, yeah, it's the body. Body's shit. Body's dying. Yeah, and that's fine. But all of that. And I think within Titus Andronicus, I'm I'm with you. I can't see any point. I can't see any point. And again, there's there's a later scene where Saturninus does sit on a a, a trainer potty. Uh, Again, I have no idea why. Uh, And then takes the poo that he, you know, defecates and (laughs) smears it all over the, the messenger and then proceeds to eat it. So, (laughs) and again, I just sort of went, what the hell am I watching and what exactly is it meant to do? Yeah, I just, I think that's, I I think that's gratuitous because I, I I mean, I I just, I just think that um, there's, once you get past, you know, sort of the the, the scatological, once you get past the, um, you know, sort of the fact that humans have developed rituals around shitting, which usually keeps it relatively off stage. Yeah, um, and, and what, to be what fair, that's, that's what Shakespeare's scheme. audiences would have been familiar too with, you know, so there was a lot of scatology or, or, or yeah, yeah, scat so, humour in, in there, but 
but it wasn't um, in this. I don't think this scene was. Meant There's a leveling effect, isn't there? Where no. it all, be, where where it become it, it becomes largely um, sort of, uh, I guess, an excavation of meaning with a sort of replacing things with you know sort of shit and bloody well, and what corporality, thought, which you know yeah. is. What I thought while I was watching it though was that it it was playing it for shock value. <laughs> more than anything else. Mm. And my problem with that is, uh, and it's something that Xu Ming, uh, who we were talking to earlier, mentioned, is that it actually, it's almost like it didn't trust the raw material to be strong enough to stand on its own, that it had to supplement it with uh, these sort of spectacles, these sort of uh, distractions. Well, and also getting back to that idea of, you know, sort of the scene in the forest, the the rape scene, mm. Um you know, from from the perspective, because what I can see is that, uh, you know, sort of so often, um, you know, sort of the, the, the rape of, of, of a woman is turned into a, a sort of a, a plot mechanism. It's turned into, um, you, you know, sort of it, it's either um, marginalised or it's, um, you know, sort of dramatised or it's, you know, sort of whatever. But there's always this sort of appropriation of this, you know, sort of essential sort of violence. Um, and I, I, I sort of felt like the, the, the play was... You know, and especially in the in the fact the regendering of Titus Andronicus. Yes. And I, I, you know, sort of, I could feel that sort of desire to sort of flip the switch on that sort of traditional um, sort of treatment of, of 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 the rape and and of the the, the, the viscerality of it and all of those things. Mm. But I, I'm just not sure that within the the the, the whole that that's actually been achieved no, or that that and, was successful. And that's one of the big problems I have with the play as well, the, uh, the regendering of a lot of the, the characters. So Titus uh, was played by a, a female, even though they don't change the pronouns, curiously enough, throughout the entire play, uh, she's still referred to as he. And Aaron was also regendered to female as well. Uh, and to some extent, Lucius, I think, was also meant to be female, although it's a young girl. I mean, the, one of the other really confusing things is that the age differences in the actors, too. So you had actors who were roughly middle age and really, really young uh, actors who were almost either uh, pre-teen or you know, just uh, young teens to some degree. So there's nothing that fits in the middle. I'm not quite sure what that does to the actual play itself. But going back to what you're talking about in terms of regendering and the way it affects rape, one of the most powerful scenes in Titus Andronicus, and it's one that um, when I teach Titus Andronicus, the students also talk about quite extensively, is the way that Lavinia pleads with Tamara mm. to not allow her son to, to rape her. Uh, and this scene is really, really powerful because it's one woman pleading to another woman to not allow the worst thing that could ha possibly happen to her, um, to a woman to, to happen. And Tamara, in her desire for vengeance, has sort of said no. Your father allowed me to beg on the street and refuse my plea, so you have to suffer the, the you know, the, the vengeance. Of that. And it's at that point that we actually turn against Tamara, because up to that stage we kind of sympathise with her. We can sort of understand why she behaves the way she does. But that one act of lack of sympathy, lack of imagination, uh, she has towards. Um, uh, this young girl who's pleading with her, she's, she's actually saying, don't let them rape me, let them kill me. I would prefer death over being raped. Um, if you are going to be merciful, give, make, that one, make that your one mercy to me. Let them kill me instead of rape me. Don't allow this to happen. But she says, no, 
Uh, and it's actually a woman then allowing another woman to be raped, which we don't get in this production. No, and, and so I think this is what's happening. We're, we're, we're sort of losing the really important differentiation that the allows nuances. us to see yeah. power and the movement of power mm. and, you know, sort of th- th- without though without that we're actually, and, and I, I can see, you know, sort of, but it, it is ultimately that you, you are literally left squabbling amongst the refuse. Oh, and, and I can see what that sort of says, but on another level, I think that you could still get that. I think there are better ways to even arrive at that effect. Yes. Because um, I, can, I can see that sort of reading, mm-hmm. um, and especially with that disintegration of, because that, that's ultimately what's being explored, isn't it? You know, sort of the, the apparent, you know, sort of height of civilization being reduced to this, you know, sort of, uh, sort of squabbling bloody, you know, sort of um, bestial mess. Um, But I I think that without the sort of the gradations and and without the the, the charting, the the, the fall, Mm. actually you just left end up left with a hot mess, which says nothing. Exactly. I mean, and and the entire play itself you can read as a criticism on toxic masculinity, Mm. which is really what it is. You know, Titus behaves in a way, uh, and most of the males in, in in the play behaves in a way, that uh, use, uses and utilises female sexuality as a form of power, as a form of currency to some degree. When you switch that gender around, when you make Titus then a female and Aaron also a female, you lose that dynamic of toxic masculinity and what you end up with then is just simply people behaving very badly towards each other or rather women in particular behaving very badly towards each other. Um, and th- that's what you get. You get a squabble between Titus as female and Tamara as... Uh, the depiction of Tamara is really strange too. She's, mm-hmm. she's, she's like a doddering yeah. elderly woman. And you just think, oh, what is the point of, of Tamara as this particular role? She's, she's, she's reduced to a very, very simplistic character. Uh, and it's all been given to Titus to, mm-hmm. you know, to take which on Which in itself is which, problematic because which is ultimately problem. he's in the ultimate patriarchal figure. He is. Um, and and he's the figure that you don't really sympathise with. I mean, it's, it's his tragedy to, and you're not meant to sympathise with him because, I mean, probably by the end you can sympathise with him because he goes through so much uh, towards the end, you know, losing uh, his, his sons, um, both of his sons whose head he gets back, uh, getting his head chopped off, Lavinia's raped in a very brutal manner. So... Toward, and, and he's driven insane by, or pretends to be insane by the entire act. So towards the end, your sympathy starts to, you know, maybe turn towards him a little bit more. But he's never unproblematically a um, sympathetic character. He's not like someone like King Lear, who you can sort of say, okay, you were foolish at the beginning, but your punishment was much worse than what you deserve. With Titus, you're kind of like, well, you sort of created this yourself. You know, you set up the situation in which your downfall was going to, to come about. Uh, in your traditional views of what things should be, including gender roles, including ideas of um, fatherhood and family traditions and all those values are really what sets about your own downfall. Uh, And we as contemporary audience don't quite align with Titus has said, we can feel sympathy for him towards the end, but I don't think we're meant to ever be sympathetic towards him. And I think this play sets it up so that we're almost always sympathetic towards Titus. Yeah, I think there was just an overwhelming flatness, despite all of the, despite all of the um, sort of the... There's none of that build up towards the, 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 the tragedy, even though, I mean, it's not, it's not the greatest of, you know, 
tragic um, circumstances that, that occurs. It's almost farcical in, in the way that the tragedy comes about. But I think the play uh, removes a lot of that farcical, a lot of that comedy element. And what you end up with is a very serious play that just seems to love to shock audiences yeah, rather I than think that's you know, a real loss it is. Know, is is that levity in in the in the play mm. because in a, in a sense you know one thing that shakespeare does is that he always has um you know the, 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 you always have contrast i mean it's so integral to to anything whether mm. it's um you know sort of within a, a single soliloquy whether it's within you know sort of a single um sort of scene whatever happens you you've got this this play of light and dark mm. and low and high um and you've also got multiple meanings unfolding yeah whereas i just felt that there was so much reliance on the the the, the spectacle the, the, the well but and you know sort of spectacle because i think human spectacle Mm. I, I think I could have, I could have, I could have gone with that. Yeah, but, I mean, spectacle, you know, spectacle, spectacle has a place, but it shouldn't be the centre of oh, but, the, but the play. But it was spectacle so. that was reliant on, you know, sort of technology mm. and, you know, sort of special effects and those sorts of things, which often left, you know, sort of actors stranded on stage in a way that was sort of, I think. Um, for me, it was disappointing. I was disappointed because when I go to the theatre, what never ceases to take me, you know, sort of out of my existence is that act of watching another human being be on the stage in, you know, sort of pushing themselves to the limits, whether it's in delivering a, you know, sort of a, a, a sort of a soliloquy, whether it's in this, whether it's in that. But in in this, it was actually just. It wasn't theatrical. Uh, no, it was just I could have just watched that at home on the television mm. because it was screen. It was more screen. Do you know what it was? It was just too much screen time. It was just like <laughs> screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. You know, sort of the background noise. And I just thought, so what? Anybody with a you know sort of the soft you know program software can produce that background. Mm. I'm here to see people on stage. Mm. And it was um, overwhelming. Yeah, and the story was away. gone. Yeah, the, the story was the story gone. I, I felt was definitely the completion of characters, the, of characters, the, 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 the plot. There was no the, the plot was gone. Yeah, there, there, I, I mean, it wasn't I, I like think there was an extraction a, of no. plot. It wasn't like there was an extraction of plot that you know sort of gave you this sense of of a new reading. It was just very much um, you know sort of everything was just taken to extreme right yeah. from the start with no um, you know with with no contrast with with nothing just yeah. at that level. It started at that level it stayed at that level and once i've once i've once i've hit that wall there's nowhere to go well i think that's a, a good place for, for us to end it jimmy as ever it is a pleasure to be podcasting <laughs> with you um that's it from the lighthouse for this week uh thank you very very much for joining us and please remember to to rate us because uh, it makes all the difference until next time Michelle Hamadash and Jimmy Van from The Lighthouse.